You're listening to the Rise and Love podcast, where we believe that you get to have love and success in all areas of your life. Your host, Crystal Iram, will help you understand yourself, your relationships, and what's keeping you from having the love, relationship, and life you really want. Week after week, you'll have your mind blown as you learn from experts and listen in on honest conversations to experience mindset shifts and get practical instruction on how to use your mind to support you in getting everything you desire. We'll get to the heart of the matter when it comes to designing and elevating all aspects of love and life. Here's your host, educator, relationship coach, and lawyer, Crystal Iram. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Rise and Love podcast. I am so excited to have Sarah Ordo with me here today. Hello, I'm so excited to talk. So I was on Sarah's podcast and we had the best time. And so now she's here and we are just going to dive into some really interesting topics. You're going to love it. You're going to love her personality. It's going to be really fun. So Sarah, I'd love if you'd start by just giving a little bit of a little bit of background about like what's going on currently in your like life and biz right now. Okay. So right now I am doing a lot of things. I do a lot. I have seven self-published books on Amazon. I'll have an eighth one in the next few months. And I also, it's like, I always have to read the list. Like here it goes. (laughs) A podcast called her best fucking life. I have a YouTube channel. I do live women's events in the Detroit area called her best fucking brunch. <laughs> I know everybody's like everything's the upward. Um, I also do a little bit of coaching. I work with some people one on one, and I actually just uh, started putting my courses on Teachable. So I actually have courses that are available all the time now. And then on the other end of things, I always have to mention this though. I also own a business here in the Detroit area called Twenty Four Lux Hair and Makeup, and we do on location hair and makeup for weddings. And I do all the makeup for that. Amazing, so yeah. so good. I love that you're doing all the things. Yeah. Also. It's so good because I actually have a client who has gone through some of my programs. And so she's in a really amazing relationship right now. And she's in the Detroit area. So I hope she listens to this episode. I'm going to send it to her directly because maybe she'll be needing you soon. So you're doing a lot in your business. And then what's going on in your personal life? So in my personal life, there's also a lot going on. Um, I am engaged. I have been with my fiance, Andrew, for over two years now, and we are doing a destination wedding in January. So coming in hot, but Amazing. we're going, to, yeah, we're going to Mexico. We're getting married and I'm super excited for everything. That's so fun. So the wedding's in Mexico. Yes. We're doing Amazing. a destination wedding. I cannot wait. So when you do a destination wedding, do you also do a honeymoon or like, is the honeymoon going to be like a part of the wedding? I think most people probably don't, but I'm trying to convince him that we should at some point, just because like, you know, as we're planning it like, we have a small group going, but I mean, it is a decent little group of family and close friends. And I just know how we are. I know how he is. I know how I am. Like, we're going to want to be with everyone while we're there. Yeah. So I kind of expressed my concern to him lately. I was like, I feel like we're not going to get that, like just the two of us romantic getaway type vacation that most people have when they get married. So I'm trying to convince him we should do like a small honeymoon at some point afterwards. So we still get that like one-on-one experience as well. 
Oh, totally. I mean, I had like a destination wedding and I was like, I want an epic honeymoon still. Because yes. yeah, you're right. It's like you're focused on like your people who are celebrating with you. Right. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about your fiance. So for my listeners, I know you have heard me talk about dating like a duchess. So when I heard Sarah's story, I was like, this chick is dating like a duchess and she doesn't even like she didn't like you didn't know. (laughs) But I I loved it. I was like, it's such a good example. So let's go back a little. So tell me a little bit about like where you were even before you met your fiance, before you started dating him and like what your love life was like previously. It was a hot mess to put it nicely. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I I do need to mention then, I hadn't mentioned it earlier, but I am four and a half years sober. So clearly that plays into things a bit in dating. Before I got sober and in the beginning of my sobriety, I was, I guess, desperate and codependent would be a not (laughs) sugarcoat-coated way to put it. I really wanted to meet someone. I really wanted to have a partner and, you know, I was doing all the things. I was working so hard and it was like, I'm a catch. Why can't I meet someone? And so, you know, I was constantly had like one eye open for a man at all times, no matter what was going on. You know, I would go on blind dates. I would have people set me up with people. I was quite the MVP of online dating and dating apps for a while. And I kept either finding men that just like weren't a good match, were unavailable, had a lot of baggage, a lot of drama, you know, a lot of cheating, a lot of lying. I just, I wasn't looking for the right type of person. I wasn't expressing what I wanted up front. So it was, oh my God, it was all over the place. I literally had someone leave me and go back to their ex-wife. And yes, like it was, it was huge. But as I said, like I wasn't dating in a healthy way. I was dating in a, I need someone with me way. I think a lot of it had to do with my sobriety because I was losing like in the beginning, I lost so much of who I was and I was trying to navigate this new life and I was trying to figure out who I was without alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I think I was just craving something like constant to be there. And I just kept thinking like, well, if someone will be with me, then I'll be okay. It'll distract Mm -hmm. me. It'll take my mind off things. So I, yeah, I had very, very unhealthy dating habits for a very, very, very long time. Yeah. What was dating life like even before you were sober? It was the same. I had a lot of, and I mean, I'll just be honest. Like if anyone comes and follows me after this, like you'll know already, like I don't sugarcoat anything. Like I'm very honest. I think they know from like the title of your podcast. (laughs) It's pretty obvious, but I was, um, I know, like, I feel like I have to say this because people are like, wow, you're being really harsh on yourself. But like, I was extremely promiscuous when I was drinking. Mm. I had a lot of drunk hookups. I had a lot of, you know, I would meet someone, we'd go on a first date, we'd get wasted. And then I'd sleep with them and wonder why it wasn't working out. Wow. So that was definitely going on a lot before I got sober. And I could see some of those habits still happening when I first got sober that, you know, over time I realized I had to change them. Yeah. So how did you, because it's like, it wasn't just becoming sober that allowed for the switch. Like what changed for you? Uh, It was definitely a lot of self-growth and doing a lot of self-worth. You know, when you get sober, you if when you take away anything that's like an unhealthy vice or addiction or a habit, whatever, you really kind of have to like turn inwards when you're doing that work and be like, what is making me do this? Why am I doing this? So like, I really had to figure my shit out and be like, what is my problem? Why am I doing this? Why am I looking for these types of men? Why am I, you know, doing these habits, this cycle over and over and over again. So I definitely had to like figure that out 
before I could change my habits. So I think that played a huge role that I kind of dove into this like self-discovery and I started going to therapy Mm. and everything in my sobriety that really helped me learn a lot about my habits in other areas of my life as well. Yeah. What was the catalyst for becoming sober? I actually had a scary, scary situation where I, like I had had close calls. I had had my red flags in the past and just kind of brushed them off. But, uh, why I actually got sober was I went out once with a bunch of friends to a music festival, downtown Detroit. And I had done my typical pregame, you know, I was blacked out before we even got there Mm. and I was a functioning blackout. So I didn't like pass out. I just kept going. So I continued to drink. And then I took a handful of pills from someone at the festival just like a handful, didn't know what it was. And so I ended up in the emergency room. I had to be taken by ambulance. Yeah. I like had a seizure and bit halfway through my tongue. Like it was, it was a huge huge thing. So when like, I've always been very like, Oh, I'm fine. It's just a crazy drunk night. But you know, when that happens and when a doctor basically tells you like your body was shutting down on itself, like we don't know how you pulled through and made it. It was a big wake up call to change my life. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How old were you? I was 26. Yes, I was 26. That's really interesting. So we haven't talked about, we haven't talked about like sobriety or substances much on the show, Mm -hmm. but do you think that there was like, when you say like, oh, it's just a hard night of partying. Like, do you think that sometimes with people like in their twenties, especially like young people where it's like easy to brush off something that might be becoming like a real problem just because it's like, there's like this mentality of like young people party, like that's normal and okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did it for years because it was, well, we just went out. It was a bad night. It was a crazy night, you know? And I think it's so normalized in society. Like, I mean, I, you're around my age, I'm assuming, but like I was watching Jersey shore (laughs) people fighting and passing out and getting shit and vomiting behind a bar. Like you know, so it was so normalized. I feel like in that time period, especially because mm. I feel, I don't know, like maybe I'm out of the loop because I'm getting older, but I feel like younger people today don't party like people did when I was that age. Like, I feel mm. like I don't see it as much, but we were like balls to the wall. Like, and it was crazy. And then we would laugh about like how crazy things got the night before. And it wasn't really funny at all. It was actually frightening. Like, <laughs> But at the time it was normal. That's really interesting that you say that. I definitely, I mean, I also had a couple of nights like that. And it's like, yeah, I'm like, if my child, like, I don't have a child. But I'm like, if I knew someone who did that, I'd be like, you could have died. Like, that's not, right. Like, yeah. that's not normal. Yeah. So you had this horrible, very frightening experience. And then you became sober. And then you're sort of, sort of, you're sober and you're maintaining some of these old patterns and habits. So what was the impetus to like, turn inward and like change the way you were approaching dating and love and all of that? So my second, I had two like substantial relationships after getting sober um, that obviously didn't work out, but the first one was bad. It was the ex-wife one. And the second one actually was, and you being a dating coach, you're going to be like, oh girl, that was destined. (laughs) It was literally, I met him a week after that. Oh, it was clearly a rebound. It was, oh, here's this hot guy. Okay, Uh, I'll I'll go to him now. Like, that's a good idea. And he not only cheated on me, but 
was also, I'm assuming, cheating on me with his soon-to-be ex-wife that he was like finalizing the divorce process with. Wow. For cheating on her. Wow. Which I didn't know all this until after, obviously, but I found out he was cheating on me. He tried to kind of manipulate the situation to make me like give him a second chance. And I tried to for a minute and I couldn't do it. Like I couldn't, like I, the trust was gone. I couldn't do it. And after I found out through the grapevine that as soon as that happened, he was already seeing his ex-wife again and talking to her about calling off the whole divorce and then went back to her immediately. Oh, wow. And I think it was just like, I was starting to struggle in my sobriety. I hadn't gone to therapy yet. I was still trying to do it all on my own. And then that on top of it, like I went into one of like, I've experienced anxiety and depression in my life, but I have never been as low as I was after that. Like Mm -hmm. I straight up hit rock bottom. Like I was getting, I was scaring myself because it would be like four o'clock in the afternoon. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I wish it was later so I could just go to bed. Yeah. Like I didn't even want to be awake. Like I didn't want to see my friends or my family. I kind of withdrew from everyone. And when I started getting those kind of like hopeless feelings, I got really scared and that's when I knew like I had to do something. So all of that kind of together, I uh, decided to find a therapist and that was definitely the beginning of all that and realizing like how much I had to change everything. Yeah. That's really interesting. I think that what you're describing, it's like if there's anyone who's listening where it's like, that's where you are, it's like, that is the time to see a therapist. You know, people sometimes ask me like, I don't know if like I should work with you or if I should see a therapist. And I'm like, there's very different things. Like there's different things that you're dealing with where it's like therapists have a very important role to play that like cannot be replaced or understated. Like it depends on what you're going through. Like what you're describing, you like you did need a therapist, obviously. And it sounds like it allowed for some like massive transformation to happen for you. So you went through all of that and then come to like the beginning of the other side. Like when you met your husband, like what was going on or your fiance, like, cause you're in a very, very different point by then. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I met him after I was probably two years sober ish. So I was on this whole kick of, I was still online dating, but I, I was going into it as I'm going to be very upfront about what I want. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to put myself in these situations anymore where I keep getting hurt and, you know, blindsided by things. And so I kind of went into it as I'm going to meet people. I'm going to, you know, if it goes great, great. I kind of had this rule. Like if this person will add to my life in a positive way, then absolutely. Yeah. Yes. If they're not, or if I don't think it's going to go anywhere, you know, like no harm, no foul. Uh, I met someone, had some conversation, maybe had a dinner, like had an experience with it, like got to hear someone's story and maybe that was it. So I kind of went into it that way and it definitely made it a lot healthier. And I had to be very cutthroat with myself about like not ignoring the red flags. Mm. What do you mean? That's definitely something I did before. (laughs) Totally. So what do you mean by that? Like, give me an example. Okay. So for example, like when I meet someone and they tell me they're going through a divorce and kind of moved out of the house, but not Uh. completely yet but it's okay. And then like, you know, the first time we hang out, the ex-wife soon to be ex-wife is like calling them six times in a row. That might be a red flag. Like, why would she be doing like, you know, and I was just like, Oh, he said she was calling because something was going on with their kid. Like, no, (laughs) like, no, 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 no. Like 
I would brush those things aside and be like, well, it's okay. Well, it's okay. Or like the fact that I couldn't tell anyone we were dating because divorce wasn't finalized yet conveniently. I couldn't post anything, which like, okay. But at the same time, I was secret. Yeah. You know? But I convinced myself, oh, it's because of the courts and the divorce. It's fine. After six months, we'll be able to post stuff and it'll be okay. And people will know about us. And I'm just like, oh my God. I like that you made that point because I think that's a good distinction. Like for any situation where you're like a secret, that's usually a red flag. Oh, yeah. Uh, Because like people can be in the process of a divorce and not per se be a red flag. That's not always a red flag. It's like- the things together. Like you have to look at all these things that are like right. in your face that are saying like, right. this is not just like, this is okay. Sometimes it's right. okay. And sometimes it's really not. So like, I love the attitude that you're describing. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. you're being harsh on yourself in a way, but like kind of not like, you're really just having like high, like I refer to it as like having high standards where it's just mm-hmm. like, this is what I'm looking for. And it's like, that's not it. Thank you. But no, thank you. And like, right. Yeah, your attitude about dating. Like, say more about that because, like, how did you feel about dating? I honestly, like, got to a point where I enjoyed dating. Like, I liked it. I thought it was fun. I liked meeting people. It was exciting to be like, oh, maybe I'm going to meet someone that's actually going to become something. Like, I had to get to a very positive place with it, not like a place of desperation and just looking for someone to latch on to, to feel better about myself, you know? Yeah, totally. So you were detached. Yes, yes. Yes. Ladies, this is so important. Like, I hope that you're getting this because like, it's so nice. Take notes. <laughs> Someone other than me saying this, it's like just detach and being chill and like taking it for what it is. Like I'm going out and meeting other humans. It's not a big deal. So now you've given us the whole context. So when you yeah. met your fiance, what was the deal? Like, was it fireworks? Were you like, this is the one I've been waiting for? Like what, like how did it unfold? So we have kind of a crazy story and I know to most people, this will not be the norm. I'm going to like put that little pretext in there really quick, but we met on Tinder, which I did not think I was going to be the love of my life on Tinder for sure. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So I was just kind of, like I said, like fun dating, doing my thing, whatever. And we matched on there. And I remember I forced him to add me on Facebook because I liked to fully like check everyone out before I met them and make sure they were real and legit. And they didn't have like a family that I didn't know about. Yeah. (laughs) So I made him add me on Facebook. And then I remember, I just remember this standing out to me like specifically because it was always like, Oh, let's meet up. Oh, let's do like whatever. He said, he sent me a message and he said, I would like to take you out to dinner. Mm. I looked up places in your area. And I found this really cool restaurant on the water. Would you like to go out to dinner with me on Sunday at this time? And I was like, holy shit, he did his homework. So good. This wasn't like a, yeah, where do you want to meet up? Like, you know what I mean? And I was like, okay, like, let's go out to dinner. So we went out to dinner on a Sunday. We just clicked. Our personalities were so good. We just got along very well. And literally on our first date, we got into the conversation of, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I want. You know, we were both a little bit older. I was towards the end of my twenties at that point. So I was like, Hey, this is what I want. Don't waste my time. If you're not looking for it, be upfront with me. Don't bullshit me. Like I would love to get married one day. I would love to have a family. I would love to have children. Like I'm ready for that. I'm in this next stage of my life. I've done a lot of, you know, growth and this is where I'm at. 
And he was very upfront with me and was like, no, like I want a family. Like I want all the same things. Those are very important to me. And so we were very like blunt on the first date about it. And I did not sleep with him on the first date. I'm going to put that (laughs) out there because that was, (laughs) I vowed to myself. I was like, we're not doing this anymore. So I remember he asked me, I don't remember if it was that night or the next morning, he texted me and said, I'd really like to take you out to dinner again tonight on Monday. And I was like, okay. And at the time I was still working a bit. So I was like, well, I'm at work until seven. So I guess we could go out to dinner after that. And so he asked me where I wanted to go. We went to a Mexican restaurant and okay. So here's where the kicker goes. Yes. I, this is like the Nicholas Sparks, like millennial shit, like the millennial version of Nicholas Sparks. So Tuesday was our second date. I had a trip planned. I loved going on solo vacations. Okay. So I was leaving Thursday morning to go to Maine by myself. I had booked a tiny little cabin for one. I wanted to go to Acadia National Park and like explore the coast and everything. I was so excited. I had wanted to go on this trip to Maine. Like I'd been talking about it since I got sober. So it was like finally coming. I was so pumped. It was going to be this like liberating vacation. So he obviously knew I was leaving in a few days and I made a joke to him on Wednesday morning in a text message. And I said, well, buy a ticket and come with me to Maine then. Cause he said he was going, I'm going to miss you. And I said, oh yeah, buy a ticket and come with me. And he literally bought a plane ticket and Mm -hmm. sent me a screenshot of it. And I was like, holy shit. So this is Wednesday. (laughs) I'm leaving the next morning. So literally our third date. He rented a metro car and we went to the airport together on Thursday morning Ah! and and went on this vacation, stayed in this tiny ass little cabin for one. And he's like six, four big guy. And it was hysterical. And I knew at that moment, I was like, this is either going to be like the greatest thing ever, or this is going to be horrible. Yeah. It could have gone really well or really badly. And we've been together ever since. Amazing. I love that because it's like, it shows like that's how men act when they're like, oh, this is really something to me. They're like, what can I do? You know, so it's like when someone's like not calling you back. It's like, no, like men yes. will buy tickets. Also on like my third date, my husband bought me a plane ticket like across the world. Like, you Shut know, it's up. Like, yes. yeah. you know, it's <laughs> like that is what men like they will make those just, you know, some men do it just because they always do. But like, right men will do things to be around and to see and to speak to like a woman that they're really interested in that they really think could be like something special. So it's like, I love that story. I think it's so sweet and so romantic, but like also it makes perfect sense. He's like, she invited me, so I'm going to take her up on that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I loved the kind of like you said, like I, it wasn't that like, okay, so should I text him? Is he going to text me? What's going on? When are we going to see each other again? Like, And like you said, and I tell everyone this now, like my friends, my followers, everyone, like my like holy grail dating like thing is if a man wants to see you, speak with you or be with you, he's going to make sure it happens. A hundred percent. Like you're not going to be the last wondering. He's going to do it. He's going to talk to you. He's going to contact you and he's going to like figure out a way to see you. Yes. Yes. It's like, it sounds so simple because it is like, yes, it's so basic, but it's so true. I know. And it's like, how many times like in the past had you like tried to go around with it? It's like, oh, well maybe he really does want to talk to me or he really does want to see me. He just can't because of like this made up reason. And it's like, no, that's not how they operate. 
so many times. And that's why I think it's like so important for people to realize like there will be someone like that. Yeah. Like going to be wondering and guessing and waiting around. So you had that trip together, which obviously Mm -hmm. is like a big sort of step. How long did you date until you got? We dated. Yeah, we dated somewhere between a year and a year and a half. I don't know the exact thing, but definitely over a year before we got engaged. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. I love it. I love your story so much. I think it's so like, it's just so sweet. And like, yes, like this is what people can aspire to. This is like a very normal, healthy, happy relationship. Like the no games and just like he was upfront. Like, this is how I feel about you basically. Yeah. It really, it made me realize like, it doesn't have to be so hard Mm. to like be in a relationship or find someone. Had you made it, you feel like you usually made it hard before? I don't know if I made it hard. I think it was my habits and the people I was choosing that it was, it was that, you know, constant cycle of meeting someone. Okay. I like him. Are we going to be together? What are we, why isn't he texting me? You know, it just, it wasn't, it was so simple. Yeah. Yeah. Simple. I like it. So, okay. So I was asking you like right before we started about like all the things you do, cause you do do so many things, which is yes. really cool. So when you met your fiance, were you making a lot of time and effort to date? Like, how did you do that with all the things that you do? Like, give me sort of like the time context. Right. So I was already doing a lot of things. Um, My business has definitely grown in the past few years, like since we've been together. But yes, I was already doing a lot of things. I had a lot of work things going on. So I was very busy. Um, I always made time for dating and stuff like that, though. But I will say since we, you know, met, started living together and all that, it definitely made me look more at how I split up my time, how I balanced and managed my time. Because, you know, when I was single or when I wasn't living with someone, I had no problem working on my laptop until midnight. Like while I was watching TV, having my laptop on my lap and just, you know, fucking around with things. So it definitely made me realize how much time I was spending on all the things I was working on. Cause I'm definitely a workaholic and overachiever. Like I take on way too much, but I will say like in the past few years, I've had to just balance my time better, you know, have that like shut off point where it's like, okay, I need to spend time with him and our dogs and, you know, have quality time together and not be working. And I mean, there's been times he still yelled at me and been like, what are you doing on your phone? Like we're watching a movie. Yeah. I'm like, oh, oh sorry. Like I have to like put it down. Like I was just doing, responding to this comment. Like, <laughs> I so relate. Yeah. But I think it's important to like dedicate that time because if you're just throwing yourself into work constantly, like it's such an unhealthy like balance of things. Yeah. I mean, your person's going to feel neglected. Right. So you have published several books. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that. Yeah, I self-published everything I have right now. Um, I have seven, as I said earlier, on Amazon. I'll have an eighth one soon. And it's definitely some work. It's definitely like you got to figure it out. You got to get on top of the process and everything. But once I figured out how to self-publish, it is very doable if you're willing to put in the time and the work. And like anyone listening, I tell everyone, like if you've ever thought about self-publishing a book, like there was a point when I had no fucking clue what I was doing. 
And if I could get this far with it and do it <laughs> on my own, like like Google and like watching YouTube videos and stuff, like anyone could figure it out. It's totally, totally doable. Is that how you figure it out? Just through Google and YouTube? Literally. I Googled everything. I looked things up on YouTube because there's a lot of like technical things that you don't think about that I have no idea, like formatting. Mm. I have no idea how to format my like word thing document into like a book. Interesting. So I had to like look all this stuff up. Um, you know, there were some people I reached out to and asked for help along the way. Like, Hey, did you use an editor for your books? Like, what did you do? Like, do I need an editor? But yeah, I just kind of like researched it all myself. I'm a very DIY person though. I will say that I'm a go-getter. So I was like, yeah, I can do this. Like I'm going to do it. (laughs) Did you use an editor? I did. And I wasn't going to initially because I was like, well, I don't know. Like if I read it and it sounds good, like that should be cool. But I will say I'm very glad I did because there's a lot of things that like when you hear yourself say them, they sound right. But the way it, like the context of it might sound funny to other people. Honestly, like we're all not perfect. Like I made punctuation mistakes. Like I would spell things wrong and not even catch it. So I'm really glad I used one because I think it just makes it look a little bit more, you know, tailored, professional. People aren't going to be reading it and being like, that's not how that's spelled in the middle of a sentence. So (laughs) I'm glad I did it. Yeah, that's really interesting because people ask me all the time if I like have a book and I'm just like, I definitely have one like in my heart, but like, (laughs) did you always know that you'd write a book? Like what even brought that on? No, I had no clue. I had never written anything more than a college paper. Oh, really? Yeah, it actually, so I started a blog when I was probably around a year sober. I started a blog. It was (laughs) soberaf.com. And that was how it kind of, like, I just started writing things and it was almost like a journal to me in a way. It was kind of like therapeutic to like get it out and just like share it. And people started connecting with it. And so it, it was really cool to see people like connecting and being like, oh my God, this was so great. Like I totally relate to this. So I was doing that and I was making um, sobriety videos on YouTube as well, like on all of my milestones and people were really starting to watch those. But what ultimately got me into the book was I had a dream that I, and I'm so weird about like signs in dreams. I'm so strange about that. Like I listen to things in my dreams. So I had a dream. I found this book on the floor that was like face down and I picked it up and I didn't know what it was. And I like opened it and it was pictures of me in the book, like when I was drunk. Wow. And yeah, and I was flipping through it and I was like, what the hell is this? And then I realized like, oh my God, like this is my book. Like this is my story. And I remember I woke up and I was like, well, I guess I'm going to write a book. And I remember telling my therapist, like I had this dream about a book and she was like, just start writing. And she was like, you know, even if you didn't do anything with it, like it would be kind of cool. I'm sure it would be very therapeutic to kind of like journal everything out. And so I literally just started writing. I would write every single morning. I would wake up and I would make my coffee and I would sit down and I would pick like a topic and start writing on it. And then over time I like formulated them into chapters and yeah, it it was crazy. I will say this up front. Like I'm so proud of my first book and I love my first book and it's my top seller. Like to this day, it like blows everything else out of the water. My first book was called Sober as Fuck. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's called Sober as Fuck, my two-year journey of rediscovery and self-love. So I will say though, like I still get some bad reviews on it. It's definitely not the best written book in the world. It's not like a New York Times bestselling author writing it. 
but it was basically, it became this like journal of like what I went through my first two years. And Mm. yeah, it was, it was really cool. It was a really cool experience. How long did you write each morning? It depended on the day. I would write at least an hour, two hours, three hours, just depending on what I was doing. Wow. And how long did it take you to write it? Oh my gosh. I wrote, edited, and had the whole book out in under six months. Wow. Which was absolutely insane. But I think I was in such a place of like, I was working on my sobriety. I was single. I was so focused on like, I'm working on me. I'm working through this. And I was kind of not I was just very focused on it. Like I wasn't going out with my friends as much anymore because I wasn't going to the bars and stuff. So I like had this like drive. I was just like all in almost like a psycho kind of for a while. I was a little (laughs) obsessed, but I mean, it worked out. So (laughs) I mean, that's really incredible. Like this is very inspiring. I'm sure there's more of a hand, like more than a handful of my listeners that have like thought about writing a book at some point, but like you just did it. That's really, really cool. Yeah. If anyone is thinking of it, like I tell everyone, I'm like, just start writing, figure it out. Just take, Mm. like, get into it. Like it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. Hands down. Wow. Beautiful. That's so, so amazing. I love this. What were your other books? So my second book was called inner bloom. It's all about finding true inner happiness and creating your best life. Mm. Then I created Sober as Fuck, the workbook, because Mm. I had all these people like contacting me that were buying Sober as Fuck and like adding me on Instagram and sending me messages. And I wanted to do something like more. So I created uh, Sober as Fuck, the workbook. It's a 28-day workbook and journal. Um, So So there's 28 days. Each day, there's like a topic. There's a little bit of writing about it. There's questions that you answer. There's mantras and all this stuff. So that was, that's another like really popular book of mine. And then after that, I decided I really wanted to do something fun and kind of switch it up. Cause I felt like everything I was doing was so like serious. Mm. And I had just started my podcast and I was like, my podcast had this whole other side to me of me to it, where it was like fun and, you know, focused on like female empowerment, inspiration. And I would like, some of them were kind of funny and it was just really like a whole different vibe. And I really wanted to kind of like put that into a book and I was about to turn 30. So I decided to write 30 as fuck. (laughs) It's 30 things I learned during my quarter life crisis. Honestly, I think it's my favorite book. I'm not going to lie. It's like, fun. It's funny, but it's also serious and like motivating and inspiring. I think it like has something for everyone in it. Yeah. So I did that one. I also created the, her best fucking life planner and journal, which is just like a daily cute little journal for like to-do lists and all that fun stuff. Then I did, I have so many. Oh my God. Then I did, um, I did 32 badass things about being sober, which is like a quick read, like coffee table type book. So it just goes through 32 things that are often like overlooked that you gain in sobriety. And the last one I put out was Sober as Fuck, the daily sobriety tracker and journal, because I saw a lot of people using these apps on their phone to track how many days sober they had, or, you know, track when they were like having triggers and things like that. And so I wanted to like create a like version of that that you could like write in and like hold and journal in. So I created that one and that one came out just a month ago. So it's fairly new. Oh, Um, amazing. 
Yeah. So that one's been out for a month now doing well. Everybody loves it. Super fun. And then I have one coming out in a few months, but I haven't announced it yet. So I can't really say what it is. So (laughs) sobriety is like a big part of your like life and work. It seems like. Yeah, it really is. And I feel like every time I've tried to like branch away from it or like steer my content in a different direction, like I'm just reminded over and over again, how many people connect to that side of my story. And I realize like how powerful it is Yeah, to give younger people, especially someone they can relate to in sobriety, because I think a lot of the things we see are, you know, it's just AA meetings. It's just, you know, older women or older men, or you picture like a homeless person when you think of someone that has like addiction problems. And so it was really important to me to kind of rewrite that stereotype to be like, look, here's a young woman that got sober and like, she's doing all these amazing things. She's living this great life. She can still have fun. And so it was really important to me to put that out there. Cause I feel like no one else was yet. Mm. Yeah. I hear you. That's really interesting. I do feel like I'm seeing more of it now, yeah. but like just in this past like year, really. Yeah. It's definitely getting more popular now. It's a lot more people I think are talking about it. I think a lot of women also are just like I've talked to so many women that I didn't even know they were sober and they're like, Oh yeah, I actually am sober too. Like I haven't drank in like a year. And it's interesting because it's not only people that have addictions or issues yeah. with alcoholism or anything like that. I've met plenty of women that just choose to not drink because they don't like the way they make them feel. Or, yeah. you know, a lot of female entrepreneurs, I feel like there's almost like a trend with female entrepreneurs that they're like, I just realized how much more clarity and how much more you know, efficient I got with my work and I got really on top of things when I stopped drinking. Mm. So it's really interesting to see like why people today are choosing to get sober, whether it's an issue with addiction or not. Right. Really, really interesting. After you were sober, but before you got together with your fiance, did you date a lot of people in that? Like, did you date a lot of people in that period? I did kind of. It was interesting because I will say I dated people that were sober and I also met some people that were not sober, like in that time frame. more so people that were not sober, obviously, but I met a few people that were like sober during that time frame, And it was interesting because initially it was like, oh yeah, we're both sober. This is going to be great. But it totally brought up like its own string of mm. issues, having two sober people in a relationship like just the same as you would if you were with someone that wasn't sober. Interesting. Like what? Um, so like what I found, I met someone right around the time I got sober that was already sober. Like weird coincidence. I literally met him like a couple of weeks before everything happened. That night hmm. happened. And so I actually was like seeing him right in the beginning of my sobriety. And it was very strange because like I was still figuring out my own personal journey of how I was going to be sober. And he was already like well into his. And so like, it was very, he was very dedicated to like meetings and he went to meetings multiple times a week and he had to go to the gym all the time. And he had this like, you know, this healthier routine he had made for himself. And like, sometimes he would say to me, like, you can't do that. You can't go there. And I was like, why? Like if I wanted to go somewhere like where there would be drinking, Mm. he would be like, you can't go there. And I was like, yes, I can. Like, I'm just not going to drink. So it was interesting to see like, that was an issue with him. And then the other person I met that was sober, it was like, you do so much self work and you're focusing on bettering yourself so much during like the beginning of sobriety that 
I think we were almost like, we couldn't commit to each other all yeah. of the time and all the attention because like, you know, similar, like, you know, he, he had to go to his meetings. He was, it was really important to him. He wanted to get a better job. And so he was yeah. working overtime and he was, you know, trying to better himself so much that he didn't really have time for a relationship. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I felt like I was already getting to a place that I was ready for one. Yeah. And like that one, especially, I remember I got, I was very upset when that one ended. Like mm-hmm. I remember him and I were on the phone, like both of us were like crying because like we liked each other and we like yeah. enjoyed spending time with each other. And it was just really difficult because it was like, no one did anything wrong. Yeah. It just wasn't going to work. And I remember being like super, super disappointed about that one. But mm. yeah, it was interesting because just different things came up than would in a normal relationship where someone isn't sober. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. It is painful when like sometimes a relationship just isn't going to work out. It's like, it's not meant to be. And it's not because like, you're not great together in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like not every relationship can like is going to work. Is your fiance sober? No, he's not. Interesting. So what is like, how does that, what's that like? What, how does that work? Yeah. Um, so he drinks socially. He's definitely not like a big drinker by any means. Like when it's just the two of us, he doesn't drink. If we go out to dinner, like he very rarely, rarely, rarely would ever order a drink when it's just the two of us. Um, unless we're like on a trip somewhere, like somewhere special or something. And I will say like, I know that won't work for everyone. Right. For me, I know what triggers me. Wine is a huge trigger for me. One time Mm. I told him, one time we were on a trip and they had like all these special wines and I told him he could order one. And I told him, I was like, I'm salivating. Wow. And he was like, what? And I was like, my mouth is literally watering with that glass of wine just sitting on the table. Like, and mm-hmm. I was like, we can't like no wine. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. So, you know, it's definitely like figuring out what's going to work for you. But like, he is a guy, he loves sports. He loves football. So like, yeah, he goes out with his friends, watches the game sometimes and like has a beer or two. And I've always been very upfront with the idea that like, I know this is my life. This is my choice. I don't expect someone else to be sober just because I'm sober. I just expect them to be respectful of it and, you know, respect my boundaries. And I will say like in the beginning before I realized what boundaries I needed to set and how much I needed to communicate it. Like there was definitely some nights that I was like screaming and crying it to in the morning when he came home because Mm -hmm. I didn't voice to him how uncomfortable it was going to make me if I could smell alcohol on him when he got home. Yeah. And so I, we learned as we were navigating that, like I had to get very good on communicating about things. I drug him to therapy with me one time because I had to like explain to him like and make sure I could communicate like fully to him like what I was feeling about it. And I had to set like some actual boundaries and be like, I don't want you drinking. It's just the two of us. You know, like we can't do wine. Wine is a huge trigger for me. Yeah. And you, you can't come home past 2 a.m. and come home when the bar closes smelling like alcohol. Like that's not going to happen. Like And so I had to be very clear on, you know, my boundaries and communicate them to him properly. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I think it's also interesting what you said for it's like that wouldn't work for everybody. Like some people, it's like it's just they they wouldn't be able to take it. You know, and I think it's like an important thing to sort of know like what works for you. Right. Like or, you know, work it out with your partner. But it's interesting, like as we're having this conversation, because on my like manifesto, like I was calling in my partner, I actually had sober. I had 
very closely affected by alcoholism in my family. But when I put sober, I didn't really mean like sober. Like, right. I really meant like someone who doesn't drink like heavily, someone who doesn't do drugs. Right. And like, that's what I manifested. Like my husband, he like, he'll drink socially. I've never seen him drunk at all. It's interesting. And I think it's sort of worth, you know, all of the women listening, like regardless of where you are in your own, you know, relationship with alcohol or substance, like knowing like, what are you okay with in yourself? What are you okay with in your partner? And like having that clarity of like, and like not being afraid to say like, no, that actually wouldn't work for me. Like it's a deal breaker if someone is drinking, like I want a sober partner or, you know. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely people like, I mean, I, I met someone I remember that was like, Oh, I party, but you know, I'm thinking I kind of want to cut back. And you know, it got to the point that it was like, okay, but when I'm seeing like Snapchats of you every night getting really sloppy, yeah, I had to be honest with myself. Like, yeah, he was attractive. Sure. Like, yeah, it was a lot of fun. He was great. But at the same time, like I had to be really honest with myself, like this isn't going to work for me. Yeah. I know I can't be with someone that is posting wasted Snapchats all night. Like that's not someone I want to be with. And I had to be very honest with myself about that when I was looking for someone. What would you say are your fiance's like some of his like top distinguishing characteristics? Like maybe like his like top three or five. Yeah. Um, so he's super like, first of all, he's super giving. He's very like, he would give to anyone. He would help anyone. I love that. He has like such a big heart. Um, He's definitely kind of, I don't want to say sensitive. Like it's a bad thing. (laughs) Like he's in touch with his emotions, I guess. Like he's able to tell me when something bothers him. We're able to talk about things. He is able to like, when something's bothering me, like kind of hear me out and like relate to how I'm feeling about things. So he's definitely in touch with his emotions. And he's just like really like, fun loving personality. Aww. Like he jokes around, we laugh a lot, like we use stupid voices with our dogs all the time. Yeah. Like we just he's very like entertaining. <laughs> oh my gosh, he actually sounds a lot a lot a lot like Kobe. Mhm. Kobe does this really so we have two dogs, Lulu and Lemon, and he does this thing oh my where God, he, Lulu Lemon. He, yeah. That's so cute. <laughs> He's not talking to the dogs. He talks as them. He does it with yes. Lemon a lot. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and he narrates. Yes. And he's yes. so good. And sometimes I like, I. it's like you connect it with the dog and I'll be like, Lemon. <laughs> Yo, we do the same thing. We literally do. We have, um, we have a dog. <laughs> this is super so weird. We have a dog named Abilene and she, her eyes get very like squinty sometimes. And she's very like relaxed and like lazy, but we always laugh that she looks Asian. And so we, <laughs> we decided that like the one time that she was an Asian tax specialist because Asians are really good with numbers. And so literally we made this voice where it was like, dad, like make sure you don't forget to file your taxes this year. <laughs> And we would make like, I literally one day was like, oh, I've got to keep my phone by me because like TurboTax is going to call me back as a seasonal employee. Like we would make <laughs> like the most ridiculous <laughs> No, we do the same thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. I'm so happy to hear that because I say to Kobe all the time, I'm like, do you think that, and I like ask him about like a set of our friends. I'm like, do you think that they do this? Do you think that they do this? And he's always oh, like, no. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> The true dog lovers do. <laughs> oh my God. So good. So this has been so interesting and fun and different. And I feel like 
I don't know. I really, really, I like this. I think it's going to be a really good episode. So tell my listeners where they can find you, how they can find your books. Like how can they keep up with you? Yeah. So my website is sarahordo.com. I have everything kind of like linked on there as like a central hub. Um, but my podcast, Your Best Fucking Life is on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, I have my YouTube channel under my name. I'm on Instagram under my name. So everything else is really on my website, I guess. Okay, cool. Yeah, I guess everyone can just find me there. I'm very social. I'm super active on my Insta stories like awesome. every day. So come follow me on Instagram for sure. Okay. Awesome. So I will make sure all of those things are linked so that the people can find you in all the places and yeah, follow her. She's hilarious and super smart, obviously. So thank you you so much for joining me on the show today. It's been really, really, really fun. Yeah. This was a fun talk. I'm glad we got to talk about all the things. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I will speak to all of you again soon. I have an amazing new resource for you, and I am so thrilled to finally be able to share it. I have created a quiz so that you can find out what your love type is. This quiz is going to take you just a few minutes, and by answering some questions, you'll get a better understanding of what some of your biggest blocks to calling in the relationship you most desire are so that you can clear them. Not only are you going to find out what your love type are, but I'm going to give you personalized recommendations for resources that'll really help you move along your journey so that you can call in the love you most desire. You can check the quiz out by visiting bit.ly slash love type quiz. Again, that link is bit.ly slash love type quiz. And of course, I will link it in the show notes. Be sure to check that out. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes and be sure to tune in next time to the Rise and Love podcast.